1: Good to see you all this morning. Um, Kiddos, if you're going to kids' church, go ahead and step on back. Sorry, I'm going to traverse the stage here and grab all my stuff that I've scattered everywhere. And get out of Mike's way. Um, So we are in our final sermon of this series. Uh, We called it Wellsprings in the Wasteland. And... What we've really been doing this entire time has we've been redirecting our gaze towards those things that like the church, like all of the people of God in all places and at all times and in all cultures have come back to over and over and over again. And this has deeply formed and shaped not only how they saw the world, but how they understood their existence in it. and many of us over the, the last several years, for a variety of different reasons, have come to a place where the faith traditions that we grew up in, we've realized uh, there's something profoundly wrong with them. We've seen some corruption and decay and some chaos and some things that are gross and have left many of us kind of asking some hard questions about, well, wait, the same people that told me about Jesus are the same people that are able and willing to do this, or able and willing to believe this, or are able and willing to treat people this way. And there's something at the rot of the center of these traditions. And so two things have collided in the last several years. One is just kind of this uh, coming to Jesus of American evangelicalism, along with the fact that we've been in a pandemic. Do you all remember, like, I don't know, ages ago, you know, 2020, when like the world was on the verge of World War III. Y'all remember this? Those were simpler times, right? Like, oh, we just we didn't understand in our naivety, we did not understand how simple things were and how much the world would change over the next two and a half years. Uh, and yet here we are. And this is exactly what has happened. These two things, the unraveling of American evangelicalism in so many different ways and a global pandemic and fascists and, uh, police killings, and just a number of different things that have been thrown in our face have left a lot of us like really wounded and jaded and feeling like outsiders and feeling ostracized and wondering, like, where do I find hope? Where do I find encouragement? Where do I find life? And regardless of the particulars of your story, each of us in here has been spiritually affected by one of these two things, or more likely both of these two things over the last couple of years. And so this series has hopefully directed us to some springs of life. These these springs that we can gather around as a diverse community coming from different places and different beliefs and different backgrounds and with different wounds, and we can come and drink deeply of some water that we don't have to worry about it having been poisoned by political agendas or religious institutions on a quest for power or power moves cloaked in some sort of moral legislation or just all and around like general hatred for the very same people that Jesus claims to love. We exist, Redemption Church exists so that people like you can find a spiritual family can have a spiritual home, can like actually really have a safe space to know Jesus and the love of Jesus. Like, that's why we're here. And this, this last sermon in our series is going to point us to this. The series is meant to draw us in, to help us to drink deeply. And in this, uh, if I could just very quickly review what we've done, we've essentially gone through the Apostles' Creed we've seen that that God has revealed God's self most clearly in the person of Jesus and the message of that God is I am a God of love who is extending an invitation to anyone and everyone to come and sit at my table and feast. If you don't believe me, look, I've become one of you. I don't just come alongside you, I've become you because I'm for you in of all the real and actual ways that you have worked against me, that you have made uh, yourself my enemy, I am for you and I love you and I'm dealing with that in my work on the cross and my resurrection from the dead. And so our hope and the whole point and the reason why we gather is that Jesus has made a way for us to really and actually have communion with the God of the universe, with one another, like forever. Like this is really, really good news and these are waters that I hope that we can drink deeply from over and over and over again for a long time. But this is the story that you and I are being invited into. This is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ And so uh, the last spring that we're going to drink from this morning is the one that's going to offer us the, so what, the, okay, that's really neat and cool and maybe gives me some hope or some encouragement, but like, uh, what does that have to do with Sunday at 11.45 when I get in my car and I turn it on and I leave? 8915 Timberside Drive. How in the world is this supposed to spill over into my work day or into my like waking up in the morning and trying to wrangle kids and get them dressed and, and that sort of thing? What I want to show us this morning is that right God desires and is making a way for us to love and enjoy him and one another for all of eternity. Right, This is our good news. Eternal communion, we could call it. But what I want to show us is that this is beginning here and now, like in this very moment. This is not some faraway thing that we're hoping for, not some like celestial, celestial dream that like, oh, well, one day we can have this. No, 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 it's begun here and now. And so last week, this is exactly what we celebrated in our baptisms that a new world is breaking in, that we have these old lives and we come out of the water and we're living these new lives that is marked by love. It's how we begin every single service. The kingdom of God is breaking in. A stark reminder that what we're doing here in this moment uh, is not some sort of conference, it's not some sort of TED Talk, it's not some sort of motivational speech about how you can... Okay, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Okay, okay. This is me filtering, okay? Y'all should be thankful for that. (laughs) I have one sometimes when Jesus is uh, doing some work. So anyways, but but this eternal communion has begun here and now. Like in real, actual, powerful ways. We can live in delight of God with one another right now. I'm like, this is the whole point of what Jesus has done. And so our scripture this morning helps point, paint this picture really clearly. And I love Paul's like apocalyptic language here because he takes this idea of the kingdom of God breaking into the world, uh, but then he bumps it up against like just the plain reality of like living in the world. And so with this... Um, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 11, I had uh, put in our like original notes for our readers, I had put the ESV version, which is what Sarah read to you all this morning, and then on Friday had come in here and said, oh, it was the NLT, and so I put the NLT up on the screen, it will be the NLT that I'm using uh, and is up on the screen, but Sarah read the ESV, they're both great, and the sense of the passage is the same either way, but verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. This command is coming on the heels of... Uh, what, what some people call like Paul's systematic theology where he has gone through an in-depth explained like, hey, you wanna know all the nitty gritty about uh, what God has shown God's self to be to us through the person of Jesus and what God is doing for us in the person of Jesus, right? This is Romans one through 11. And then in chapter 12, he gives this great command. So because of all of this, because of this good news, because of who God is and what God has done, you should offer your life as a sacrificial uh, uh, life of worship. And then he gives like these details on contextually how the Roman people could have like actually gone about doing that. Uh, Give taxes and do this thing. And when you have a quarrel, right, this is how you settle it. Like like, real tangible stuff. But as he's summarizing this, we we get to verse 8, which comes on the heels of the passage that so many people use in really gross ways, like, obey the governing authorities. But it's on the heels of that, like, hey, obey the governing authorities, which, by the way, Paul is saying in a context where the Caesar is claiming, hey, you ought to worship me because I am Lord, that Paul in Romans says, no, no, no. Those who are saved cry, Jesus is Lord. It's in that context that Paul says, hey, obey the governing authorities, and oh yeah, by the way, pay your taxes. And then verse eight, in fact, you know what? Owe no one anything except love. You're never done loving. You can never love too much. Love and love and love some more in fact you know what he's going to go on to say everything I've just said you know what the point of it all is it's love you want to know how to do everything that I'm telling you to do like what does it mean to live out the faithful Christian life love and so he goes on in verse 8 if you love your neighbor You will fulfill the requirements of God's law. This is exactly what Jesus himself says. Hey, you want to do the commands? Love God and love your neighbor. Verse 9, for the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. All very good practical advice, like don't do these things. But these and other such commandments just like them are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And it's here that I have to ask myself some very serious questions. Love does no wrong to others. And I come from a faith tradition that taught me this. That showed me Jesus, that made Jesus plain to me, the Jesus that I fell in love with, that I know to this day, but that I watched them in the name of morality wound and harm and ostracize and hurt their neighbors. All in the name of Jesus. And so we're reminded that our communion, right, this eternal communion that Jesus is inviting us into, that the thing that we are gathering here and embodying in this moment is rooted in love, not morality. Morality without love is empty and meaningless. Morality without love is cold and uncaring righteousness. Many of us have had the displeasure. Of encountering in our lifetime morality without love is the Pharisees who Jesus looks at and says you're whitewashed tombs you're real pretty on the inside or on the outside but inside you is nothing but death it's rigid overbearing and seeks legality over personhood so ask yourself this like uh, question it maybe it's provocative maybe it's not What does God love? Does God love rules? Does God love morality? Does God love righteousness? I think at some level, yes, right? Does God want us to like murder our neighbor? No. God loves us not murdering our neighbor. But above like the actions that we do, do you know what God loves? He loves people. And the reason we don't murder our neighbor is not because God loves the rule. This rule is so amazing. It's because God loves your neighbor and doesn't want you to end their life. And more than that, God wants you to love your neighbor the way that he loves your neighbor. God loves people. And so what does it look like to follow Jesus, to obey God, to like do the commands? Love people. The way we exist as like a resurrection community, as like a a glimpse and a picture of God's in-breaking kingdom is never going to come about by us being like super moral people, but never loving anybody. You know, it's, it's completely the other way around. God transforms us into a people of love and as a people of love, we don't murder. As a people of love, we don't cheat on our wives. As a people of love, we write fill in blank. C.S. Lewis has a great picture of this. Um, So C.S. Lewis would get these letters from children and he would actually respond to them, which is like in 2022 blows my mind. Can you imagine your kids writing a letter to like, I don't know, uh, the Harry Potter lady. Oh, she's in trouble right now, Never mind, ignore her. Someone else who writes children's books, who's really famous, okay? That's not in trouble for anything. (laughs) Doctor, nope, not him either, sorry. (laughs) And then like them actually responding and taking the time to be like, oh yeah, hey, here. And so there's, uh, I just discovered this this morning, which I'm very excited about it. I'd heard of this letter, but I didn't know where it came from. So it's in this book uh, of compiled letters to children. It's called Letters to Children. And it's all these letters that C.S. Lewis wrote to kids. And I'm fascinated by it. I'm gonna buy it on Amazon and you should too. So in this, he's writing a letter to Joan uh, and he says this to Joan about what it means to be a perfect human. A perfect human would never act from a sense of duty. He would always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love. It's a crutch. Which is a substitute for a leg most of us need the crutch at times but of course it's idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs our own loves our tastes our desires can do the journey on their own the kingdom of god that we can begin to say taste and see and hear right now among us is not a community that needs like all these rules Community that needs the presence of the Holy Spirit that sets our hearts on fire and makes us people of love. And so much of where I begin to see the cracks in my own faith and tradition that I grew up in are exactly at this point where I would hear a gospel of grace, a gospel of acceptance, a gospel of love, but then I would just see over and over and over again these attempts to legislate morality on a variety of different levels. More and more, the mission of the church seemed to be about morality and not about love. Right? And really practically, like, here's, here's what it looks like, and this might be uh, taking y'all back a little bit. <laughs> hey, uh, everyone's welcome at youth group. Come into youth group. We want you to know Jesus. Come on into youth group. In fact, we want you to come to youth group so badly. We're going to give you free pizza, and we're going to play video games. And all the kids are like, ah, oh, video games, pizza, I love that. Let's go hang out at youth group. And they show up to youth group, and they hear a message. And more often than not, the message that they heard was this. Jesus loves you so much, and he really, really needs you to stop smoking, or let's make it uh, current, vaping to stop cussing, to stop drinking, to stop having sex, either digitally or actually. You need to get your house in order and be a better person. Jesus loves you. We'll see you next week. And like, I know this because I taught 17-year-olds for eight years, and they were so confused. They're like, wait, so is it grace, or do I need to like behave myself and resist all these urges that I have? It's like, hold on, well, we have a lot to untangle here. But then when you realize, like, oh, wait, wait, they're doing it with adults, too. We welcome everyone, oh, except for you. You're welcome to come and sit in the back, but if you're going to believe like that, if you're going to think like that, if you're going to have friends like that, then you can't actually have, like, join the table of Jesus, I watched churches stand behind legislation that actively harmed human beings in our city. And I guarantee you this, go and ask the outsider, hey, who are they? What are they like? That church over there, what do they stand for? What is their good news? And I guarantee you, it will not be, oh, their good news is love. Their good news is that Jesus accepts me and loves me. Yeah, I've got some junk, and I do some bad things, and Jesus is absolutely not okay with that, but he accepts me anyways, and he's doing something about it anyways. No, 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 the message that they are hearing from the church is not that. A tree is known by its fruit. This is why all of like the, maybe y'all are even like unaware of it, I don't know, while the christian nationalism nonsense and like so much of the misogyny and racism and homophobia that like runs almost directly parallel with all of the christian nationalism nonsense uh, is so painfully obviously antithetical to jesus let me be plain when the gospel is rooted in your morality it has become something other than the gospel. This is not the good news of Jesus. This is not the Christian tradition that has gone on for 2,000 and some odd years. This has been nowhere present in anything that we've talked about in the last seven weeks when we've literally gone back and looked at what every church in every place at every time agrees on. The God that Jesus reveals to us is a God of love and this is central to God's holiness and God's righteousness and it's central to who we are and to our holiness and our righteousness we'll never become righteous people if we're not made people of love and so it's with this good news that we face the decaying world outside of our gathering right whatever evil exists in the world our means of conquering it Is not going to be morality, whether it's our own or our imposing it on them. Our means of conquering the evil world around us is always going to be love. Listen carefully what Paul says here, verse eleven. This is all the more urgent, right? This is where things get really apocalyptic, right? This is apocalyptic is like uh, Revelation, like the book with the dragons and right, Um, like scary stuff. The world's about to end, right? So this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like filthy clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. And if we're not careful, we will miss what Paul just said right before this. And we'll turn this into like, ah, it's morality, right? Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living and quarreling and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Right, so love is going to call us to abstain from harming our neighbor, harming ourselves, doing things that, that do harm. But love is also gonna call us to live into some things like we might not otherwise do, right? You're gonna get up on early on Sunday morning. Everybody else, y'all, is like walking in a park and they're at brunch, they're having a great time, and y'all woke <laughs> up and you came here, right? There's something in there uh, that's rooted in love, I hope. Uh, if you feel like you have to be here, you really don't. Like, and that's not me, like, ah. Uh, like, if there's some sort of guilt or shame that's making you, like, ah, I've got to go to church, like, be free, my friend, for real. Um, you're absolutely welcome here, but come when you want. That's a terrible way to grow a church, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> my pastor said, I don't have to show up anymore. This is great. <laughs> So then what does it mean for Paul to say, put on the armor of right living? What does it mean when he says, like, hey, clothe yourselves in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do I do that? I want to, like, clothe myself. I'm picturing, like, this big bear thing, like, from, uh, what's that show, Alone, where they drop people off and, like, go survive. And someone's wearing, like, this giant, but it's Jesus instead. Okay. (laughs) So, like, what does it mean to actually put on the Lord Jesus Christ? We can make this super, like, weird and crazy and out there. The simple answer is it means to love. it. It's really that simple and that obvious. And so our protest against the, the world is to love. Like, yes, the evil, broken, chaotic world. How do we live in it? How do we exist in it? How do we respond to it? How do we overcome it in like some real good, beautiful ways? We live as a people of love. Karl Barth says it this way. I love this quote. This feels like something Gandalf would say. This is so good. Love is the breath we breathe in the realm of evil when we have no breath left. When the darkness has suffocated everything out of us and we don't know how we could possibly go on and take another step, the thing that sustains us and carries us is love. But more than this, love also actively undermines and overcomes that very same evil that we so often feel overcome by. And it breaks up the existing order of darkness. And so in a very real and urgent sense, like our love together in this room, like actually really tangibly, not some theoretical thing, shows the world that Jesus is not, in fact, a neo-Nazi, America first, uh, homophobic, racist person. Because they're hearing that message very loudly and very clearly from certain corners of the church. And part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to not tell them something different, but show them something different. The kingdom of God breaks into our world. It presses and it imposes itself upon us and the darkness around us and suddenly bands of light begin to stream on the horizon. And we don't yet quite see the sun, but we can begin to see the light and we live as if the day has already come. We live as the community that will be after Jesus is coming. We don't live as the community that we were before Jesus. And so, uh, I'm closing with this. There's a real practical reality here. This communion that we're describing, like this kingdom of love, is deeply involved in the lives of individuals. This is not just an ideal that we're going like, to post about on Instagram or Twitter and be like yeah people of love cool the kingdom of God breaks into our world and into our lives when we love our neighbor like our actual real neighbor do you know their name do they know yours lend me some sugar I am your neighbor all the millennials love that one Gen Z's like what And this is like actually the most important and practical part of how this works. We can talk about love all day long, but until we go and experience it and live into it as a community of lovers, then it doesn't matter. This can't exist as a theory. We actually have to let God like transform us, renew us, remake us. So I came in here on Friday to apparently put in the wrong thing on the screen the computer um but then also to like uh just kind of get the room ready prep it for sunday mornings and as i did i like all the lights are off it's super quiet except for a random car passing by or kids playing soccer across the street room is dark and quiet and all of a sudden like as i'm going around doing my business I, i had to just stop and just sit down because i was overwhelmed by something in the room taunted. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sorry. I will get through the sermon, I promise. (laughs) Um, And I'm suddenly having like all of these memories and faces and names and and just people flashing through my mind of the eight years that my wife and I have been here uh, in this room worshiping Getting to know people and I realized, my gosh, like this place has transformed me. I'm the freaking pastor. I I wouldn't have when I walked in here eight years ago, I was not like I'm gonna run this joint one day, right? Like it was never the goal or the desire. In fact, six months ago when I walked in here, I was not thinking (laughs) that. (laughs) There's a story there if you're new. We're glad you're here. Welcome. (laughs) But I was overcome by like this nostalgia of like, my gosh. This place has transformed me. Like it's called me into something deeper. It's it's uh, it's made me know Jesus more than I knew Him before. It's made me love and long for Jesus more than I loved and longed for Him before. And do you know what it was? It wasn't sermons, and it certainly wasn't this building. <laughs> uh, if you're, yeah, never mind. <laughs> It was like the four hub groups that we've been a part of. And the people that are like no longer here because they graduated and moved on or they were called to a different state or they just moved to another part of the city or whatever. But it was the experience of transformational love shared in a community that actually overwhelmed and transformed me. of course it's exactly what paul is saying it's exactly what jesus has been telling us all along we can learn all the theology we want we can hear all the great sermons that we want but until we actually begin to live as people of love it won't matter Um, so there's some really easy practical ways that you can do this one of the really awkward ways i want to challenge you to do this today Will you, like, right, you're not in trouble if you don't do this, but as you, like, leave today, we just find someone and say, hey, real quick, I know you're going to brunch to meet all your ungodly friends. (laughs) (laughs) Christine liked that one. (laughs) Um, How can I pray for you? Uh, First, what's your name, (laughs) right? But how can I pray for you? Like, actually and really, If you'll open yourself up to that awkward, brief conversation, don't like take their time. How can I pray for you? And then here's the key, right? This is the whole point of the whole thing. Take 45 seconds each day for the next six days and actually do it. And actually bring them to the foot of Jesus and commit to praying for them. So the other really practical way that we can like actually begin to do this, we've tried to take the fruit that we believe is really good and nourishing and, and put it on the lowest branch possible. Um, we have these things called hub groups. They meet, mostly meet every single week, except for the delinquent hub group that is mine, it meets once a month. Um, you can learn more about them on our website, redemptionhou.com hubs. Go check one out if you haven't yet. Right, it, it will never feel spectacular Maybe it will. Uh, Patrick and Darby's Hub's pretty great. I think Jesus actually shows up at Patrick and Darby's Hub. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I hear anyways. But like sustained over time, like these little meetings, these little conversations in the living rooms, these little like moments of prayer that we have week after week after week after week, these are the things that transformed me. That as I looked back over eight years of these small drips of gathering and praying, gathering and praying, gathering and praying, that is where transformation happens. That is where God breaks in and begins to do the quiet thing of making his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, for loving us and not leaving us in the state that we're in. But in the face of that, thank you for accepting us as we are Uh, at least for me, even when so much of who I am is broken and um, antithetical to who you are and what you're calling me to be. Will you empower us to love? Will you continue to do miraculous things among us in our gathering together, in our meeting? Will you give us the courage to reach out and, and take the step of making ourselves known and making ourselves vulnerable? Will you help us to be a people of love in a world filled with hatred. Give us the wisdom to see how to do that. Give us the faith to cling to you, and that's hard and costly. And by your Spirit, will you make this place a single, maybe even tiny, prick uh, of light in a dark world? Let let us be known as a people. Or someone from the outside can go, man, I don't know who they are, but there's something about them that makes me feel loved. That's who you are, and that's who we wanna be. Will you help us? In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to RedemptionHOU.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.